This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. guys. Well, if you're new today, um, we are walking through First Peter. Typically what we do here is just walk through books of the Bible. And so for the past few weeks, we've been walking through First Peter. And, and today we finish up chapter one. Kind of the theme that winds its way through First Peter is the theme of hope. So we're kind of turning that diamond under the light each Sunday and kind of looking at a different dimension of, of hope, and today uh, we're talking about hope and love. And so, uh, turning your Bibles to First Peter chapter one, uh, and we're going to look at verses seventeen through verse twenty-five. Uh, I'm going to kind of bridge, uh, really, between this week and and next. So next week we're going to deal at a little more length with kind of verses twenty-four and twenty-five, and bridge into chapter two. Um, but we're going to going to get into this uh, today. And so, again, uh, if we're looking at a text from 1 Peter, I want you to look down at your Bibles and so make sure you got those Bibles open and ready to go. If we're looking at a text from another book of the Bible, uh, that'll, that'll appear on screen so that you don't have to rush and, uh, and, and turn to it. But let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's begin reading at verse 17. Follow along with me. Peter says, if you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like a flower of the grass. Grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you uh, now having read your word, we ask that, that by your spirit that you would give us the grace to understand. We pray that you would make it penetrate, that our understanding would not just be at an intellectual level, but at a heart level, that, that you would speak supernaturally in, 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 in supernatural power over these next few minutes. And Lord, we're comforted to know that um, you're aware of everything happening in the course of each life here. And you're aware of the the needs that we brought into this service. Um, Maybe some of us need 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 a word of conviction. 
Um, you know that. Maybe we need a word of challenge. You know that. Some of us need a word of hope, and you know that. Some of us need a word of comfort or assurance. Lord, you, Lord, you know. And so we, we pray that by your power that you would speak to each one of us today uh, r- right at the point of, of, of our need and that you would equip us, that you would empower us, that you would ignite faith, that you would strengthen faith, that we would walk out of here stronger for you, more ignited with the gospel, with a fire burning um, in our hearts. And so we know only you can make that happen. Uh, but we want to we give ourselves to you now. We pray that you would help us to focus. We pray that you would, you would enable us not, not to be distracted and that you would bind the evil one who would, would seek to distract us, that we would really have our hearts primed and ready and eager to hear from you, the living God, our living Savior, even Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. So just to kind of uh, review a little bit from where we've come in chapter 1, you remember that when we, we, we looked at the opening verses of 1 Peter, that as, as Peter gets into the body of his letter in verse 3, that from verses 3 through 12, what we're seeing there, and it was just, you remember, it was just kind of one long flowing sentence. Actually, in the original, it is one sentence. But in verses 3 through 12, we were seeing tons and tons of indicatives as we were seeing what God has done for us in Christ. And so in, in verses 3 through 12, we were looking at all these incredible things that God has done for us in the gospel. And then beginning in verse 13, we're, we begin to get into imperatives. And it's talking about what we are to do in light of what God has done. And so in verses 13 and following, it's talking about how we're to live in light of this, these incredible things that we've experienced in the gospel and what God has done for us. What are we to do? How should we then live? <clears throat> and that's kind of what we're seeing here in verses 17 and following. And what we're going to see here is that First of all, we're called to live reverent lives, reverent lives. If you're taking notes, this is your first point, and we see it in verse 17. So look in your Bibles at, at verse 17. Peter says, if you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you were to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. So before we talk about reverence and kind of what that's all about. Let's focus on this word strangers, right? He says, conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. So you remember how Peter began this letter in verse 1? He, he addressed this letter to what? To exiles, right? He says there's, there's a sense in which followers of Jesus in this fallen sinful world, are exiles. We are sojourners, pilgrims, 
strangers in a strange land. There is a sense in which this world in its present fallen condition is not our home. And we are never going to feel completely at home here, nor should we, because it's really not home. And even on a weekend like this weekend, when we, we, we think about our, our country and, and you know, we, we feel good and healthy you know, emotions of, of patriotism for our, our country, we also need to be aware that, that even America is not our ultimate citizenship, no, the, the Bible says that our, our ultimate citizenship is, is in heaven. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is coming a day when we really are going to be home, and our exile is going to be over. And we are no longer going to be strangers in a strange land because Jesus is coming again and he is going to, to, to transform these perishable bodies that we live in and we're going to have, do life in glorified bodies forever and ever in a renewed, a new heaven and earth without suffering, without sin, and without death. And then we are really going to be home at last. Okay, but, in, but until then... Uh, we're, we're exiles. And, and, and here in verse 17, he uses the word strangers to describe that, right? We're, we're temporary residents here. We're, we're pilgrims, sojourners, exiles, uh, strangers. And so until Christ comes again and renews this creation and, and, and gives us glorified bodies and we live together in a new heaven and earth, until then... How are we to live? Okay, and he, and he says here in verse 17, until that day, he says you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. All right, so what does that mean? Uh, reverence is not a word that we, we use a whole lot in, in, in modern English, maybe occasionally. But, but what, is, what is the meaning here of, of the biblical word? He says to, to conduct yourselves in, in reverence. You could translate that Greek word as fear. You could translate it as reverent fear. We have a lot of unhealthy fears <laughs> in our lives, right? Well, there's, all, there's a whole list of things that we could fear. We could fear uh, health problems. We could fear financial problems. We could fear relational problems, family problems, or we could fear what could happen to a, uh, to, to, to a child or our job. Or, I mean, you know, there's just a whole, a whole list of things that we can come up with that, that can produce unhealthy, negative fears in our lives. And, and you know, one of the primary ways that you can learn how to handle unhealthy fear it's by developing a healthy fear. And that's the fear of God. The fear of God. You know, this, this is one of those issues where, where we as uh, modern evangelicals, we just don't talk about it enough. 
right? There are just certain issues where when you read your Bible, you start seeing things that we, we don't talk a whole lot about or maybe as much as we should in Christian circles. The fear of the Lord is one of them. Because when you read your Bible, I mean, you, you see this all over the place, right? Um, so what do, we, what do we mean when we talk about the, the fear of the Lord? So when the Bible talks about fearing God um, and just that concept of fear, kind of the root, the root of that word is largeness, bigness, a sense of, 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 of priority. Think about, for instance, when you fear other people. You, know, you, you fear what people might think about you and what they say about you or, or, or whatever. So we, we can develop these, these fears of other, of other people. There, there's, there's a great book that I would commend to you, that, and it's called When People Are Big and God is Small. That's what's happening when we, when we fear other, other people. It means that we're putting people here and we're putting God down here when in fact that needs to be reversed, right? God needs to be bigger. He needs to be larger. And so when we have a healthy fear of the Lord, then it puts all of the other things that we could possibly fear in, in perspective, right? He, he needs to be here. God needs to be the biggest, the biggest reality, the largest reality in our lives. And when, you, we, we, when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, that's one of the aspects of it. it. It means giving God his proper place, which is the biggest place in, in our, our, our lives, not putting other things ahead of, ahead of him. There's something else that you see when, in Scripture when it talks about the fear of the Lord, and that is that the fear of the Lord is a wise thing. What's the expression that we see over and over again in Proverbs? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Wisdom. So the fear of the Lord is a wise thing. Um, it, is, it does not mean that, we're, that we fear, fear terror of God. I mean, after all, if you, were, if you were a follower of Jesus, then God has adopted you as his own beloved son or daughter. He is the perfect parent, right? And so... You know, you belong to him. You are his beloved child. He, he is for you and not against you. But that doesn't mean that as a loving father that he won't discipline you when you need it, just as a, a loving parent disciplines children uh, when, they, when they need it. But, but yet, you know, we, we, we don't want kids to feel terror of their parent, right? And, and why, why would we feel that about the perfect parent? who's our, our, our heavenly father. So when we talk about the fear of the Lord, you know, we're not talking about being terrified of God. That's, that's not it. However, we need a, a healthy, reverent fear of God, and we need to understand that he is, he is not just our savior. God is our judge. Now let's look at verse 17 again. What does he say here? If you appeal to the Father, right? So we have the right to call God our Father, right? Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, right? He, he has become our Father. 
Uh, Romans 8, Galatians 4, right? We, you know, we, we call him Abba Father. He is our father now, right? You're his beloved child. So if you appeal to the father who judges, judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as, as, as strangers. Now, now listen, just because you've received Christ as your savior does not mean that God has ceased to be your judge. We need to understand this. Again, this is something that I don't think we talk enough about as Christians today. It's, it's almost like sometimes we think that when we receive Christ, you know, that, that God stops caring about uh, the deeds that we do. Friend, that is not the case. And that is not biblical. Right? Just because we know Christ is our Savior, that does not mean that God uh, steps away from his role as judge in our lives. No, he's both. Peter here in verse 17 is writing to Christians when he says that he judges. And he, and he judges according to what? It says that he, his judgment is impartial, right? If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially, so God has, God has got a perfect justice, right? It doesn't matter what, you know, whether you're you know, man, man, or, man or woman or you know, rich, rich or poor or uh, black or white or whatever ethnicity you are, uh, Jew, Jew or Gentile, Christian, non-Christian, right? God is, is a perfectly impartial judge, so he judges impartially according to what? According to each one's work. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, God's judgment is according to our works. Now again, we're getting into something that I don't think we talk enough about as modern evangelicals because sometimes we can almost get the feeling that, you know what, hey, once, once we're saved, God stops caring about our works, let alone judging us by our works. That is not true. You say, well, but aren't we saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone? Absolutely. Absolutely. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But friend, listen, if you are in Christ Jesus, that is going to be seen in your life. In your works, we are saved by grace, but we are saved to good works. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and following. Paul says, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So the fruit of salvation is what? It's our works. 
and, ju and God judges the reality of our salvation by our works. The reality of salvation is seen in its fruit, in our works. The Bible is perfectly clear about this. James chapter 2 and verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? Well, it's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no. And we see this all over the Bible, right? Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 16 and, and verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Romans 2 and verses 6 through 8, Paul says he will repay each one according to his works, eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. And so we should not be surprised, brothers and sisters, when Peter says here in verse 17 that you were to conduct yourself, that God judges impartially according to each one's work, it's perfectly consistent, you know, with the rest of, of Scripture. Tom Schreiner, who teaches New Testament at Southern Seminary, says, Peter contemplated the final judgment where believers will be assessed by their works and heaven and hell will be at stake. Why? Because the reality of whether or not we've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone is going to be seen in the lives that we have led. If you have truly been saved by grace through faith, that is going to be seen in your works and we will be judged according to our works. Now, how does this square with the confidence that we are to have in, in Christ because we want to be confident in our relationship with the Lord, and yet at the same time, Peter tells us here, conduct yourselves with a sense of, of, of reverent fear. How, how do those two things balance? Well, most of you got a good illustration of that earlier today, because a lot of you uh, got in your car, and you turned on the ignition, <laughs> and you drove to church. And so when you did that, you didn't, you didn't start your car with like a feeling of, of dread or terror. I hope not. Probably shouldn't be driving. That's the case. I mean, you weren't terrified <laughs> to, to turn on the ignition and to, and to, you know, to, to back out and to, to drive to church, right? You, you did that with a reasonable sense of confidence, but yet you also did that with a sense of, of reverent fear. I hope you did. It's a problem if you didn't. I hope you were paying attention to what was happening around you on the road. 
I hope you were paying attention uh, so that, you know, some child didn't come out in front of you in your neighborhood or that you paid attention to cars that were parked along the, uh, the sides of your street. I hope that when you got out on the road that you were paying attention, not only what you were doing, you were paying attention to what people in the other lane were, were doing so that you didn't make contact with them. Naturally, when we drive, we do it with confidence as experienced drivers, but yet we, we do so also with a, a healthy sense of, of reverent fear, right? That's the, that's the balance that we're, that we're talking about here. Um, so Peter calls us here to, to, to lead reverent lives. Second, redeemed lives. Redeemed lives. Let's check out uh, verses 18 and 19. He says, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. So listen, here's the train of thought. Peter is saying here that if we are living our lives without a sense of reverent fear of God, like if we just don't, if we're blowing off our sin, we don't even care about sin, we're, if we're not living with that sense of, of, a, of a reverent fear of God and we're just kind of you know, doing our own thing, then what we're doing is we are denying the value of what Jesus has done for us. And what has Jesus done for us? He has redeemed us. Peter says here in verse 18, you know that you were redeemed. Redeemed. In, in the first century context in which Peter is writing, in the Greco-Roman world, they, they knew a lot about that word redeemed because unfortunately slavery was legal in that culture. And so the word redeemed in, in, in Greco-Roman culture in the first century in which Peter was writing meant the price that was paid for the freedom of a slave. If, if someone was a slave, someone could, could pay a price or they could pay it themselves and purchase their redemption, purchase their freedom. That's what first century people thought of when they thought of that word redeem. But if they knew something about the Old Testament, then something else came to mind as well because the word redeemed has a rich Old Testament background because in the Old Testament... God's people were enslaved, right? They were enslaved in Egypt. And God redeemed them from their slavery. And so in the Old Testament, we see verses like Deuteronomy 7 and verse 8. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And how did God do that? How did God, how did God redeem his people from slavery in Egypt? What did he tell them to do? He told them to, to slay a lamb, right? Not just any lamb, but to slay one of their lambs that was without spot, or blemish. He told each family to do this and to, and to sprinkle the blood 
of that lamb on the doorpost of their home so that the death angel would pass over them and they would be redeemed from slavery in Egypt that night. And of course, those Passover lambs pointed to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we have been redeemed from an even deeper, darker slavery than what God's people were in in Egypt. We've been redeemed from slavery to sin. We have been redeemed, Peter says here, from the empty way of life that you had known before, right? That, that word empty can be translated as useless, pointless. Think about life without God. Think about life worshiping a false God. Your, your life is ultimately meaningless, empty, without purpose. And Peter says you were redeemed from that empty way of life inherited from your fathers. And how were you redeemed? He says you were not redeemed with something perishable like money that comes and goes. No, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. I was reading a story about uh, a physician named uh, Samuel Weinstein. Dr. Weinstein uh, serves as the, the head of, of, of pediatric heart surgery at, at Montefiore Medical Center in the Bronx in, in New York. And he was on a trip to El Salvador and was performing heart surgeries on kids who don't have access to the kind of medical um, facilities that we enjoy in, in this country. But anyway, he was, he was operating on this eight-year-old boy little boy named Francisco Fernandez. And so the surgery began about noon. They got into it. It was incredibly intricate. And so after about 12 hours of the, of the surgery, it was a long surgery, but, but it was going according to plan, but then something went awry. Uh, Francisco began to, to, to bleed internally. And the drugs that they would typically use to stop that internal bleeding were not available in El Salvador. And so the little boy had a very rare blood type, B negative, about 2% of the population. And, and, and they were at a point where they just didn't know what else they could do. There's one person in that operating room that had a B negative blood type. And that was Samuel Weinstein, the lead surgeon. And so he stepped away from the operating table and washed up and he, he gave his blood. For us, there was only one blood type that would do. And that was the precious blood of Jesus. The one without sin, the one without blemish, gave himself, shed his blood, his precious blood, for us so that we could be redeemed. So redeemed lives and the redemption that we enjoy in Christ was no afterthought because just as we saw in, in verse one that he chose us before the foundation of the world, he also chose, chose the means of our redemption before the foundation of the world and how that was gonna happen. And so what does he say in, in verse 20? It says, 
of Jesus. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Redeemed lives. Third, loving lives. Loving lives. Check out verses 22 and 23. Peter says, since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart, love one another constantly. Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Listen, as God's new people, what should characterize us, what should mark us, is love. You know, we, we've been talking about the fact that you know, God is going to look at our lives. He's going to look at our works. The, the work that should mark us more than anything else, and the one that really everything else springs from, is love. And so what are, what, are, what are some of the things that we see in the New Testament? Galatians 5 and, and, and verse 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Remember we talked about a while ago that if you have genuine faith, that's going to result in works. Right? So how does genuine faith express itself? Through love. Beginning with love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So what does the book of 1 John tell us? 1 John 3 and verse 14. It says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Listen, how do we know that we've passed from death to life? Because we love our fellow Christians. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Friend, do you, how's your love doing? Do, do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? The people that are sitting all around you? Now listen, we're called to love our enemies, right? We're called to love outsiders, right? We're called to love, love those who, who don't know Jesus yet. Of course, yes, but our, our love is to begin in our, own, in our own family, in the family of God. Do you love your church? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? None of us, none of us are perfect, no family is perfect, right? <laughs> in a family, right, there's all kinds of things. As you do life with one another, you get to know one another. Oh, there's, some people are easier to love than others. And, but, but listen, we, we're, we're, we're to love each other the way that God has loved us. I can assure you, he loved us when we weren't easy to love. He loved us when we were running from him. He loved us when we were still his enemies. He loved us when we were still sinners. That's how we're to love one another, Right? First uh, John chapter four, John says, "If anyone says I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen 
cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So this idea that we can love God vertically and not love the people around us in our church family horizontally, like that doesn't exist. (laughs) That doesn't exist, right? If you don't love your brothers and sisters, it's an indication that love for God is is not real. Listen, how's, how's your love doing? How's your commitment to your brothers and sisters in Christ, right, in the church family. And where does that spring from? We go back to the gospel. It's not gonna appear on screen, but I'll quote it to you. (laughs) In verse 19, just before verse 20 here, it says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. In order to love our brothers and sisters, we have to continually go back to the gospel and think about how God has loved us. We go back to the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your incredible love for us. And and Lord, we pray that 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 would would really issue forth in in love for others, beginning beginning with the people around us, (laughs) Lord, beginning with our families, beginning with our church family. Uh, May we be, each of us be a person who loves our brothers and sisters. Um, may May the hope that we have in Christ spring forth in in, in love for others. As we just continue to bow before the Lord, listen, I would ask you, do you know this love? Do you know this love? Has it become real for you? Do you, do you, do you know what Jesus has done for you? Do, do you understand that he died for sinners like you and me? That he, that he shed his precious blood to redeem us? And, and have you turned to him in, in repentance and faith? Turn to him now. Repent. Turn from trying to do life apart from him, your own way. Turn to Jesus and trust him. Trust in what he's done for you. Receive him into your life as your savior, as your king. And for those of us who are here as believers, this is a passage that should make us search our own hearts. Is the reality of a relationship with the Lord seen in our lives, in our works, in our love? And so, Father, we, we ask you for the grace that we need as we go back to the gospel that that you would give us a deeper awareness of your great love for us in Jesus and that that would spring forth in in that kind of gospel love for other people, uh, beginning with the people uh, in our own church family, beginning with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, may our church family really just pulsate with the the love of Christ and may that be something that's, that's, uh, that's seen by those 
around us. We, we live in a culture that is lost, groping in darkness. Lord, may they see the light of your love in our church and the way that we treat one another. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.